Good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. 1100 Springs, show me the money or I'll show you the door. Kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered by Dallas Safari Club. And our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. And it is a treat to be here. Talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it as we've got a lot to get into. Deer season is in full swing. Uh, rifle hunters took to the field last week. Unfortunately, however, uh, 90 degree temps and a full moon phase really messed up the opener for a lot of people. Uh, I went out on Monday to uh, southeastern Oklahoma. Actually, no, it was Tuesday, so it was a little bit cooler. Temps were in the 50s. And I rattled in a mature shooter. I was sitting on the ground in my hex hunting suit. First time I wore this thing, by the way. And I was very impressed with it. Uh, I rattled that buck in. He came in uh, to about 40 yards. Sadly, he was downwind of me, though. And I didn't know he was there until I heard him snort wheeze and turn around. And he was gone. Uh, But nice, mature shooter. So they are on the move. Uh, Lots of reports from the Abilene area. Uh, that rut is in full swing. So, you know what? Now's the time to get out there because from about now until the end of this month, it is going to be hot and heavy, I tell you what. Also, duck season opens this weekend for folks in the north and central zone. So, uh, (laughs) if you're a duck hunter, this is your favorite weekend of the year. And we do have a lot of birds in Texas right now. That is for certain. So hope everyone is safe and hope that y'all bring home full straps uh, and that it's a great opener. So that's what's going on in the great outdoors. And here's what's going on right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show today. We're going to kick things off by taking a look at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They've got some really just idiotic policy right now regarding trophy importation on a few select African species, uh, notably Lions, elephants, rhinos, things that I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford to hunt in my lifetime, but you know what? I see the value in having those animals on this planet, hopefully thriving with healthy populations. And the thing is, is that trophy hunting helps accomplish that goal. So when you devalue a species, i.e. you take trophy hunters' dollars out of the equation, what incentive is there for people to protect that species? Uh, it's quite a conundrum. I don't think the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has any business sticking their nose in African uh, wildlife management policy, yet they continue to do so. So we will dive into that with Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. And, and while I know many of you uh, probably haven't hunted Africa, but maybe it's on your bucket list, I, I think it's a fascinating topic because whether it's in North America or across the pond, the phrase, if it pays, it stays, is transcendent. So we'll uh, we'll get into that with Corey here momentarily. Then, uh, with waterfowl season upon us, we'll spend a couple segments talking ducks. And I'm talking about getting to know ducks. Why do ducks do what they do? What are they thinking? Why are they where they are when you find them? Uh, all of that good stuff. Uh, we'll discuss it with longtime waterfowl guide, and U.S. Army veteran 
Beau Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters. He's even going to bring us duck calls. So when you've got birds working, I'll ask Bo to give us a couple demos of what he does to finish those birds that just keep wanting to make pass after pass. Uh, it's frustrating, <laughs> but uh, hopefully he'll give us some answers on that front. And then we will wrap up today's broadcast with a very interesting guest joining us from Los Angeles, California, a man who is trapped in the concrete jungle. He can't get out due to his job, but he is a passionate outdoorsman, and he's got a podcast out there. It's called Living Country in the City. I uh, had the pleasure of being a guest uh, on his podcast recently, and uh, Sam Ayers will be here at the bottom of the hour and we'll discuss uh, his attempt to live that country lifestyle while trapped in right in the middle of Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> the last place on earth I would ever want to live. But hey, he's making it work. And uh, his story is one that is very intriguing to me and hopefully can inspire other folks who are, are in a similar situation, you know, whether it's uh, L.A. Or, or downtown Dallas or Houston or, or wherever. Uh, so that's what's on the program for today. It's going to be a good one, I guarantee you that. A uh, couple other things to mention. We've got our November Photo of the Month contest going on right now, offering up a Lone Star Outdoor Show Edition Bison Cooler. That's right, 50 quart uh, with our logo on it. All you have to do to enter is email your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on our Facebook page wall or tag us on Instagram. Use that hashtag LSOS photo contest. I'll get you entered into this month's contest. And then our 12 monthly winners from 2017 will square off at the end of the year for a grand prize trophy hunt package at Coons Canyon Ranch. That's right. One of y'all will get to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch this spring. So get your photos in and we'll get you entered into our November contest. Uh, also, let's do a quick giveaway. I don't, I don't know if you can give away liquor on the radio, but I think you know. I think you probably can. So we're gonna do that right now. I've got a bottle of Trinity River Silver Star whiskey, uh, our longtime spirit sponsor. They've also got a great vodka, Silver Star vodka. But I've got a bottle of their whiskey right here. We'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker and a uh, camo cap as well. Third person to text in the word whiskey, that's whiskey, to 214-289-7807. We'll send you the Silver Star Whiskey cap and Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. All right, uh, let's go ahead, knock out a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the direction that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is going with DSC Executive Director Corey Mason right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She said, hello, country pumpkin, fresh as frost out on the pumpkin. I've seen some sights, but babe, you're something, and mama loves her country pumpkin. Cable Smith here for Deer View Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deer View Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerViewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deer View Windows, where visibility matters. 
Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. A young boy, two hands on the wheel I can't replace the way it made me feel And I would turn her sharp I'd make it whine He'd say, you can't beat the way an old wood boat rides Just a little lake across the Alabama line But I was king of the ocean Well, there's one right there from Alan Jackson That's from the good old days before Nashville got all douchey Drive is the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith, by the way, thanking each and every one of you for tuning in. It's certainly an honor to be here with you today, whether you're tuned in on one of our 30 radio affiliates or if you're checking out the podcast. I'm just glad you're here as we've got uh, some uh, some stuff to get into regarding the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Kind of a, a shift in direction, I think, is taking place uh, from the Obama administration to where we are today. And that's a good thing because there are some crazy laws that are preventing folks from bringing trophies taken in other countries back to the United States. And we'll explain exactly why that is so downright ridiculous here momentarily with uh, Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. But first, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to personally invite you to become a part of this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To check us out, uh, just go to our website. You can find us at biggame.org. We'd love to have you. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, bring him on right now. He recently became the executive director of Dallas Safari Club after a very successful career with Texas Parks and Wildlife. It is my pleasure to welcome our old friend, Corey Mason, back to the show. Cable, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, So, first of all, how have your, uh, I guess, first couple months been at the helm of Dallas Safari Club? I appreciate you asking. You know, it's been great. I've had the opportunity to uh, to really have face time with a lot of uh, a lot of members, uh, a lot of partners. Uh, certainly, getting to know the staff here well, the board members, and all those good things. And it's been very welcoming, uh, and it's been very fast. So we're uh, we're running right now. That's for sure. So baptism by fire, huh? That that, that well said. <laughs> right on. Uh, well, you know, we've ha- we have a history uh, from your time with Texas Parks and Wildlife, and and uh, like like I said in our last visit, we're glad that you are. Uh, overseeing things for DSC and and with that being said kind of what I wanted to talk about today are some fundamental issues I have with current US Fish and Wildlife uh, Service policy so some of these animals and they're you know we talk about them a lot the, the big 5 but specifically right now and and this all stems from the whole Cecil debacle which really left a black eye on the hunting community um and I think it really hit home with the the non-hunting public you know the anti-hunters of course just ran with it but i think a lot of we we lost a lot of casual eh, maybe hunting's okay maybe it isn't type of folks out there with that uh pr nightmare and then next thing you know u.s fish and wildlife service is banning the importation of uh 
you know, lion trophies. So where are we currently with their policy on the African lion? Yeah, good question. I appreciate that. And let me back up just a little bit. You know, I think it's one of one of DSC's greatest strengths uh, is really the position that we should let science direct policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an ideal world, that's the sole driver behind policy. But we all know that there's public sentiment uh, and and just apathy and whatever else you may identify there. But uh, but recognizing that uh, there are there are good things that are happening now. Uh, and and much credit to Secretary of the Interior Zinke who is a friend to sportsmen, who is a sportsman, uh, who's very purposefully made some very bold moves uh, to really show his intent in the sporting world. And we're very grateful for him and the, the actions that he's taken uh, and the relationship that the conservation community as a whole has, as well as the Dallas Safari Club. Uh, and so I just say that in context that uh, really looking forward, things look a lot better than they did over the last several years. Uh-huh. Uh, so the Fish and Wildlife Service is in the process of reviewing. Uh, you've likely seen some recent uh, outputs from that, uh, some importation, uh, particularly lion uh, and some other animals as well, uh, and some basically looking at the review process and understanding the role and importance of sport hunting in the conservation of those particular animals. And some positive outcomes have come from that recently, uh, and many more to be evaluated in the coming um, uh, to coming months, et cetera, from more countries in Africa. Uh, but positive steps are being taken, uh, and, and again, uh, a good process and a, and a, and a good, uh, I guess like a good look forward is still ahead. Okay. But so as far as the, the there is no current ban on, on, I mean, I know I saw something about if you took a trophy between this time and this time, you're now legally allowed to bring it back. So... I don't know if it's been open. Is it wide open again for anyone to bring back a trophy for as far as the line is uh, concerned? It, it is not wide open right now. Uh, and Fish and Wildlife Service is evaluating those on a country by country basis, okay. on, an, on an individual uh, animal by animal basis. Uh, uh, but again, the good thing is, is the opportunities that are there now is to put uh, good information in front of, uh, to your point earlier, uh, regarding a general. Uh, basically prohibition that was created for an animal that is not threatened nor endangered yeah. um, and for the Fish and Wildlife Service for one country to oversee another country uh, that was unfortunate um, and really Could you imagine in Corey a bunch of uh, South Africans or Zimbabweans just sitting around the campfire debating white-tailed deer policy in South Texas that, that, that's exactly <laughs> right and, you know, and I think one of the things missed oftentimes uh, is is the unintended consequences to local communities, um, and and when, whenever you have a, in place, for example, say just to use line for example that you that you teed up there, uh, is whenever the hunting of that that animal is not permitted, at least the importation of that animal then indirectly means that people are likely not willing to go hunt, spend the dollars associated with that. Uh, at least it's certainly reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then though the employment that comes without, the many, many people, the local communities and tribes that benefit from that, and obviously the safari operators then reinvest those dollars in local community development and schools and anti-poaching units, uh, water development, all those kinds of things that go by the wayside. And the end result is the animals uh, and, and the hunting areas that conservancies, et cetera, are, are at a loss. And it's those unintended consequences are so overlooked. Um, and I think the good thing is is those uh, side consequences are being brought to light now. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, very fortunate for that. Right, right. 
Well, yeah, and, and you take the incentive away from, let's just take the, the local population. Uh, and I went to South Africa this past summer and seen it firsthand as far as what the the meat does for the community and then also the financial impact. But if you take the value away from this animal, you leave these people with no reason to protect it whatsoever. So if it's attacking their livestock, if, say if it's a lion, or if it's trampling their livestock, if it's an elephant, they're just going to kill them indiscriminately because they don't see any value in them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't blame them. You have to protect. If you're, if this is how you put food on your table. I'm a farmer, and I've got a herd of of elephants trampling my crop. Well, yeah, of course you're going to kill them. That's exactly right. You know, your tolerance and your willingness to coexist with that particular animal, uh, it certainly hinges on the fact of what you receive from that. And if you receive from that your tolerance of, say, for example, a lion and the potential predation on your livestock of your your goat or cattle or something like that is far greater when you realize, you know, some percentage of return when a hunter is coming over uh, and those tens of thousands of dollars that are going back to local communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that conservation through hunting concept is lost in many cases, and that's very unfortunate because that is really what pays the bills and really in the sense of employment or if it's the local community, you know, and that's one of the neat things as well about to jump off just a little bit, I'll come right back, but uh, some of the projects associated with like Dallas Safari Club, I mean, you know, there's some projects right now, this Tanzania Line Illumination Project, in which it's looking to proactively basically prohibit human wildlife conflicts in the sense of providing these uh, these strobing lights uh, that have random sequences so the animals do not uh, become uh, habituated to it, blind specifically on these bomas, these basically like a, uh, a corral, if you will, but it's made out of, you know, thatch and, you know, limbs and brush, et cetera. Uh, that strove at night to keep the lions away from their from their goats at night, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's being proactive in whatever we do. If it's if it's reducing human animal conflicts, or if it's working proactively as a hunting community, certainly as Dallas Safari Club as a whole, to address these issues at whatever level needed, at the state, at the national, at the multinational level, uh, it, it's a great opportunity in front of us. Right. Well, now as far as the elephant is concerned. Um... Out of all the big five species, this one seems to be declining more rapidly than the rest. I mean, we've already seen the, the rhinos have been depleted, so but they're kind of, yeah, they're getting poached, but they're kind of at you know in this almost holding steady pattern. The elephant, uh, and 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 I've recently watched that documentary Trophy, um, which I thought was a great film. I'm sure you've seen it by now. <laughs> I have. Yeah, okay. Well, we had the directors, uh, Shaul and uh, I can't remember his wife's name, but we had them on the show. And to hear them set out to make this documentary to basically prove the evils of trophy hunting. And then when the piece is finished, they've come 360 degrees and, and realize trophy hunting is what's saving these animals. Uh, but they talked about the elephant in great detail on, on in that uh, film. And it is being poached just, I mean, as far as the number of elephants we're losing a year, it's uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, and so I don't know where we are on elephant importation and, and policy with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but I figured you could shed some light on that as well. Sure. So so much of the same uh, being evaluated currently. You know, when when you look at when you look at elephant numbers as a whole. Uh, they suffer from much of the, the same things that we could apply to many landscapes is loss of habitat, uh, but more importantly, like you've recognized, um, you know, we have a doubling population in Africa, which then again over the next 20 years plus, which, re- which will continue to result in loss of habitat, 
but, but the issue you identified is one of great significance and one that can be overted in the sense of poaching. And again, the reinvestment or people's willingness to reinvest back in that particular animal comes when conservation through hunting and those dollars being very purposefully directed towards anti-poaching units on the ground uh, funded by hunters' dollars through concessions, through professional hunters uh, and, their, and their willingness to reinvest back in their particular conservancies or concessions. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the cool thing about that film, Trophy, I go, go back to that, is they follow the efforts of an anti-poaching uh, you know, ranger and his staff as they try to thwart uh, elephant poachers in the film. Uh, so it, it was pretty cool to see how that, how those hunters' dollars go back into the uh, the local government and, and their fight uh, against the poaching. It's a crime syndicate, really. It's not individuals. It's a, it's a crime ring, and it's a big one. It, it really is, you know, and to your point about the producers of that particular film, you know, it's a pretty often shared sentiment in which those that, that either don't understand or haven't had the time to really review conservation through hunting and the value of hunter's dollars into any uh, community, economic community associated with that, using Africa again as a classic example. But many of those will now sort of have a, uh, a changing of mind when they go through the process and they really hear the science and the facts behind it. It cannot be an emotion-led discussion. It has to be a fact-led discussion. And when they see the value, when they see the dollars that are, that are, that are spent, the thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres that are conserved, and then the side benefits, benefits local communities, again, to the anti-poaching units. Many, many people that still at the end of the day may not uh, participate in hunting, and they may not even support hunting. But at the end of the day, when the facts are weighed, they still will understand and appreciate the value of sport hunting and the value that it has on all species, the species that are hunted and the species that are not hunted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As far as uh, another question I had for you, in you know, we recently saw South Africa legalize the uh, rhino horn trade, and as far as I know, I think that's just in South Africa. I don't think it's a uh, you know a continental thing, and and I know it's not a worldwide deal. But um, do you think that that is a positive or a negative? And you know, what, whichever way you lean, it's going to say whether or not you think it's beneficial to the rhino's uh, long-term vitality. Yeah, you bet. So certainly an interesting concept. Uh, everyone's obviously actively watching that right now to see uh, sort of secondhand and firsthand the outcome of that. Uh, I'll have a much better perspective to paint for you uh, in the coming weeks. I'll actually be headed to South Africa and then to Namibia uh, for annual meetings of their Professional Hunters Association and their annual general, uh, general membership meetings. And mm-hmm. so, um, but I do, uh, I look forward to some, some more information on that. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily have a lot of information if you will, on it. It was pretty recent, so. Yeah, very recent. Uh, But uh, we'll we'll be learning a whole lot more firsthand uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, it always just uh, pains me to see these these huge ivory burns where they just take, you know, five, ten thousand tons, not pounds, tons of ivory and then burn it. And all you've done is you've taken uh, the product that was filling the black market space you have gotten rid of it, and now you've created a vacuum there where now, hey, we've got to feed the beast. We've got to get more ivory, and uh, it just seems ridiculous to me because then all you're going to do is drive the price up, and the um, you know the payoff for poaching just becomes that much more fruitful. You know, 
there's not a great answer other than the very purposeful and strategic fighting of just the word you use, the syndicates of poaching rings, uh, because like you say, they're very methodical, uh, and the risk is worth the reward for them, uh, you know, and so uh, it, it, we have to be very systematic about it, and, and it has to be purposeful, and it has to be something that has to just be pursued relentlessly, recognize the costs that come with it. Corey, you know, like you said, Secretary Zinke, he's actually been on the show recently, and, and I've been very impressed with how he's changing the way that, you know, we're handling some of this stuff. Uh, but as an organization, as far as Dallas Safari Club goes, how do we have an influence? How do we go about changing the way U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service handles foreign policy? Because I feel like on some level, what we see is what happens when a bunch of animal lovers go get degrees in wildlife biology and instead of being outdoorsmen and outdoor uh, women, which is, you know, for the last hundred years, the way that these, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and other uh, wildlife agencies were run. You've had a great question, you know, and it's one that we get frequently. And the way that DSC makes sure that its message of conservation and education and protecting hunters' rights around the world is fulfilled by, number one, being in those conversations, uh, being at the table with policymakers. If it's East Africa, if it's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, or if it's anywhere else on the globe, uh, at the state level even, um, it, it, it's knowing those people, establishing those relationships, being at those tables and having those conversations, and ensuring during those conversations that we are very purposeful and very specific and unapologetic in the fact that we believe and we will firmly stand behind the fact that all of these policy decisions should be based on, on excuse me, on science, sound science, um, and that, you know, those that are based on public sentiment and, and emotion, uh, they, they just don't stand. Uh, there's, there's no credibility behind them, and they're not defensible at the end of the day. Um, and so making ourselves relevant, uh, making sure that we are in the room for those conversations, and again, continuing to, to foster those relationships is something that we do uh, very, very grateful, uh, again, for a board, a staff, a group of people as a membership of DSC that have a great reputation. So thus, when DSC enters these conversations, uh, we are held in high regard. You know, we are considered one of the international leaders in wildlife conservation, and that's great credit to DSC membership. Um, and so we will continue to do that. We will continue to be in those rooms. And we will not only continue to do that, the purpose and the plan is to be the leaders of those conversations. And that's what we're working towards right now. Mm. And would you say that that, uh, you know, DSC, obviously conservation is what this organization was founded on. But would you say within the last even year, the club has taken a more aggressive approach and is not really being as passive, kind of now we're taking the game to the antis, to these uh, policymakers instead of letting the game come to us? You know, I would say on, on one front of that, certainly, you know, with the We Hunt for Life campaign, which the foundation is, is undertaking and moving forward, and it is that, is a proactive, is a proactive messaging uh, to hunters as a community, uh, arming them with facts as to why we hunt uh, and all of and, and the associated with that. So it is proactively and unapologetically telling the story as to why we hunt and then also the associated benefits of that to uh, to, to species, to game species, to non-game species, to local communities, etc. So that particular campaign uh, would be an absolute yes because it is being very purposeful and it is really leading the charge on that front. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, we had uh, Richard Cheatham on, oh, probably three or four months ago to talk about that. Uh, we Hunt for Life campaign in great detail, so I'm a big supporter of that. Because I do think as a, not just DSC, uh, the hunting community as a whole has been far too passive, I would say, in the last 20 years. And with the advent of social media, you know, I think we've been on our heels. People have been attacking us, and, and we haven't come up with a unified strategy on how to educate people, get the facts out there, and do it in a way that uh, doesn't lower ourselves to the level of the people attacking us. That's exactly right. You know, engaging in some emotional debate or just rhetoric associated with it is not productive, but rather being well-armed with information and facts with someone that is truly engaging in a purposeful conversation is a good opportunity. And having information on the benefits, the why we hunt, uh, the uh, consequences, the, the side benefits that come from that is something that all hunters should do. They should be prepared for that discussion, should know that how you would answer that question is to, you know, why do you hunt? Uh, they should be prepared for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Corey, we certainly uh, do appreciate your time today. I'm glad that you are, uh, you know, getting the full indoctrination as the uh, executive <laughs> director of, of DSC. You know, it's been, uh, I guess, two months and and you're off to uh, Africa here very soon, so we wish you safe travels uh, to uh, South Africa and, and Namibia. Correct. Okay. And then last question, have you had a chance to get into the whitetail woods yet? <laughs> Thank you for that. I have. Uh, <laughs> my wife and daughter and I got out a couple of weeks ago uh, and enjoyed, and I plan to do the same this coming weekend. Awesome. Well, good luck. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. All right. There he goes, our good friend and DSC executive director, Corey Mason, uh, that segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by the Drive Over Chalk. Y'all have heard me talk about this product, and it's one that I truly believe in. If you're hauling an ATV, four-wheeler, golf cart, Jeep, or otherwise, protect your investment. It's so easy. You just install it on your flatbed, drive over it, and boom, your vehicle is locked in place. No more tie-downs, ratchet straps, none of that crap. It's uh, so simple, and you'll get free shipping. If you use the promo code Lone Star or Cable when you check out at driveoverchalk.com. Uh, let's take a break. Up next, it's the opening weekend of duck season. One of my favorite weekends of the year. I can't believe it's finally here. And we're going to talk all things quackers with Bo Saucier, our old buddy from Outlaw Outfitters, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm going to stay on my ground. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand, wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3curl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. 
Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H is in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one-morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at HuntOutlaw.com. I'm Jerry Mitchellark, professional shooter, and welcome to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. That, obviously, not country music. That one takes me back to uh, the early days of my duck hunting uh, career, I guess you could call it, and uh, a much angrier man, <laughs> young man, back in the day. That is Seven Mary Three Headstrong. But I will be honest, uh, I still like to turn up some rock and roll on my way to the duck blind, at least for that first hunt of the season. It gets me fired up. And we're actually about to head to the duck blind with our old buddy Bo Sociate of Outlaw Outfitters. But first, this segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Two shops to better serve you. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for six years, whether it's a trophy whitetail, an exotic black bear, or... If you drop that nice Drake wood duck or uh, that big bull canvas back this weekend, hey, you know who to call. Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. You can find them at grthenumber8mounts.com. All right. Well, let's bring on uh, our next guest. He's been a personal friend and hunting buddy of mine for, gosh, Bo, what, six or seven years now. Joining us in studio, it is my pleasure to welcome Outlaw Outfitters owner and guide and Iraqi War veteran, Bo Saucier. Thanks for being here, man. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure, brother. We're going to talk a little ducks. I mean, the my season, favorite subject. You know, the season is here. Uh, shotguns are going to be going off all over Texas this weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, and while it is the, uh, the the early season for us, these birds are smart, man. Absolutely. Yeah. They uh, they started getting shot at in Saskatchewan and yeah. the other Canadian homes and down through the Midwest and and now they're here. Yeah. So wary to say the least. Uh, well, let's dive right into it as far as preparation. Uh, I, I'm guilty of this sometimes, you know, as far as uh, 
the night before opening day, I'm sitting there mm-hmm. re-rigging my decoys and maybe I clean my shotgun. Maybe I don't, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, making sure all of your, your battery, you know, your mojos have batteries, all that stuff. Correct. I imagine you have already taken care of all of that. Oh yeah. I, t- I try to keep my, my equipment in working order, uh, throughout the year. Cause you'll notice when, when you don't use it, you lose it. It, yeah. uh, Amazing the wear that gets put on something that just sits neglected and unused from January until November. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, uh, and then obviously uh, scouting is some. I mean, everybody's been doing a little scouting here and there. If you haven't, you're late. <laughs> yeah, everything everything that goes into making a good duck hunt. Uh, I mean, we're to the point now. Uh, we're late enough in the off season where if you haven't if you haven't been hard at work, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, you you should have your uh you should have your blinds blinds at least framed right now, mm-hmm. uh, if not framed and brushed. Uh, if you're hunting uh, private land, uh, if you're hunting public land, you should be sca- You should uh, you should be out there scouting, you know, checking out your water levels. Uh, the your favorite boat ramp from last year might be underwater, or it might not even be to the water this year. You, you never just, know. You, in Texas. you need to. <laughs> yeah, you never know in Texas. We go um, from one extreme to the next pretty quickly. Yep. Season uh, to season. It's a it's a horrible horrible feeling to get out there to your favorite public hunting land spot and it doesn't even have water in it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've been and I've been that guy before uh, on Cooper one time. I, I hunt out there. I haven't in a couple of years, but that used to be one of my favorite places to go and uh, had this great walk in spot. You know, hadn't been there in a while, and I show up for early teal season, mm-hmm. and my my teal decoys are in a half inch of water. Some of them oh, are just yeah. sitting in mud. You know, <laughs> I bet you I know exactly where you were hunting. Yeah, I shot some teal though. Yeah. It, it worked out, but yes, I was. You know, shame on me because oh, yeah. I was that guy. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, how many seasons do you have under your belt, though? I started duck hunting uh, in a Boyle's parish when I was. Uh, when I was five years old mm-hmm. and with my, with my dad, we had a, we had a, a blind on a place called Loch Byron de Chats in a mm-hmm. parish. And, uh, we were part of the Bayou Jean-Saw hunting club, uh, back then. And then we moved and got away from hunting in a parish. And, but most of my hunting is, is, uh, Avoyles, uh, LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. And then, uh, when I got out the army, I came here to Texas and I've been hunting here and I try to make a few trips back home every year, but, uh, I've been, uh, I've been doing it, I'd say for a good solid 25 seasons, mm-hmm. 20, 30, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, so 30, I've been hunting pretty hardcore, you know, as a, a duck hunter for 15 seasons. So we've got 45 seasons together. And, uh, and I'll be damned if every time I don't go out, uh, I learn something new, whether it's from, uh, uh, someone I'm hunting with, mm-hmm. whether it's the dog or if it's the ducks teaching me something that I thought, you know, I thought, oh, I thought yeah. I had them figured out. No, I'll be damned if I, if I sure didn't, you know? Yeah. And I think that that complacency, uh, you're never too good, you know, and you never know too much. You never, you know, you can never stop learning about these animals because if you look at it on a timeline, uh, these animals are going to react to their, to their predatory circumstance. Sure. Pressure. Just that humans. Put well, on. just like, just like these animals behind me, they all, they all over time, you know, the good Lord gave them, gave them horns to defend themselves from, from their predators yeah. and to, and, and great speed and strength and everything. Uh, 
it's only a matter of time before these birds react to exactly what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, there's no difference between a duck hunter and uh, sitting in a duck blind waiting for them to fall in front of them. Uh, there's no difference between us and an alligator snapping turtle just sitting there with his mouth wide open waiting on a, a, a little fish to swim by. I mean, we are, we're, we're predators and we, yeah, we're good at what we do, but they're better at adapting. So you have got to stay ahead of the power curve on, uh, on these animals or they're going to, uh, they're going to teach you something. Like you said, every time, every time you go out. Yeah. Well, and so if we went out, like my grandfather used to hunt the Katy Prairie for ducks and geese back in its heyday in the, in the rice, uh, patties there, if we tried to do the same stuff they did. I don't, I, I think we would be not only unsuccessful, but wildly unsuccessful. Well, they've, uh, because these ducks adapt, you know, they had a lot, uh, they had a lot, what would many would consider inferior equipment back then. They had, I mean, if you didn't have, if you didn't hand carve a decoy, you didn't have a decoy, right. you know, uh, the calls were, I mean, terrible (laughs) as by today's standards now i mean they killed a lot of ducks back then but there was a lot more ducks back then and there was a lot less pressure back then too yeah uh now uh with shrinking habitat and more hunters the ducks that we the, the ducks that we have and the water and the and the geese that we have they uh they've got it together and they're and they know what to look for when they're looking for a hunter yeah well, so so let's talk about some of the fundamentals to being a successful waterfowler. Um, obviously, the most important thing is where you're hunting. Uh, that's what I would say is 1A, and I'm, I'm sure you'd mm-hmm. agree with that. You, that goes back to scouting, whether it's private or public. Number two is your decoys. Mm-hmm. Because before a call even comes into play, you've got to have something that says, hey, ducks, check this out. Exactly. Uh, scouting, there's, you know scout three days to have one good one good morning of hunting if that's what it takes mm-hmm. you have got to find where the birds are holding you've got to find the x you've got to know where they're at and you want to know why they want to be where they're at yeah if you find a big bunch of birds on if i go out tomorrow for my scouting rotation and i don't see anything anywhere and all of a sudden i see congregation of just of everything just somewhere I don't need to disturb those birds, but when the sun goes down and they go to roost, if they're not roosting right there, I need to get in there with my headlight. I need to get in there with my waders. I need to figure out what we're, what's so special about this spot. Right. What are we eating in here? What, uh, is it just a, is it a, is it a good little eating spot? Is there some Pennsylvania smart weed growing up? Uh, you know, is there, you know, just what's going on here mm-hmm. that sets this apart from the other place? Uh, and um, it might just be a great loafing spot. Uh, I've found in this area of the country, these birds like to loaf on places where they can see predators coming downhill at them. So you, if you're looking at a, uh, a little pond that's got uh, hills coming coming down to it, you know, just some, so you, nothing major, but just some gradual slopes coming straight down into it with the tank dam being the low spot that they can't see. Mm-hmm. Those birds, they like that. They like to be able to see uh, any kind of any kind of predator coming down at them, and uh, yeah, that's just uh, 
that's one constant I've found. If, so, if someone out there has found something different around here in the North Texas area, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Well, and then there's an area lake that I hunt uh, every year. And at this point, you know, it's sometimes just for nostalgia's sake because I, I don't, uh, I don't hunt public land like I used to, which was mm-hmm. that's what I grew up doing. You know, yeah, I was like the part of the get there at one a.m. army and and try to get your spot oh, and yeah. ward off other hunters and this that and the other. Um, but I still go and and especially. I pass over this spot on my way to a deer hunt a lot and I always have my glasses and I'll be damned if it isn't the best loafing spot. It never fails a couple times a year. It is just loaded up with ducks. There's no food there, but they just like to hang out there. And that's when I call my brother and say, let's go. It's time to hang on. Security. <laughs> Security. I they mean, can see every, yeah. Ducks need to, ducks need to eat, stay alive and make baby ducks. Mm-hmm. That's a place to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you found one of the one of the three right there. If yeah. you can provide all three, then uh, you've got a great a great place to duck hunt. But <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface. Uh, but we need to take a break. When we come back, though, you've got your calls here. I want to I want to coax those ducks that are circling, circling, circling. How do we get them? to cup their wings, put their feet down, and land right in that little spot where we said, hey, yeah, that's where a duck's going to land. And then also uh, I want to talk about calls and decoys. Which one is more important when it comes down to it? So that's what we'll get into next. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-Style Barbecue and Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available this hunting season in the new camo can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the lease. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. All right, y'all don't go anywhere. Up next, we'll continue the discussion and stack up some greenheads with longtime guide Bo Saucier right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. How you gonna get young before you get old? Them Texas women is Texas gold. Give her kisses and a sweet as a cactus. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the system hog trap. Comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Oh, 
Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cut them all, Jackson. Name of that one from Steve Conover. Highly appropriate as waterfowl season is finally here. Can't believe it. Opening weekend. And so we are talking all things duck hunting with our good friend Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters. But before we jump back into that conversation, this segment of the show brought to you by the all-new Scent Blaster. All right. If you use scents on any of your hunting sets, whether you're deer hunting this time of year, hog hunting, predator hunting, whatever the case, if you, you know, spring bear even, if you use a scent attractant, then you need a scent blaster. It's simply a better mousetrap, and there's nothing out there like it. So check it out. You can find them at scentblaster.net. Order yours today and get more scent out. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and get back into it here. With Bo Saucier, he was nice enough to stick around through the break. And, Bo, you know, we were talking off the air about decoys versus calling, uh, which one's more important. And I think we both agree that before you go out and spend 150 bucks, $200 on a top-of-the-line duck call, it would actually behoove hunters to put that money towards their decoys uh, first and foremost. I know, I know guys uh, that – Duck calling is like guitar playing, man. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Some people can pick just enough to stay in the band, though. Yeah. You know that your decoy, your decoys are are everything. They're they're one hundred percent, hands down. That's it. If your decoys aren't right, you're not going to kill anything. Mm-hmm. Your calling can be horrible, <laughs> uh, but when you recognize the fact that you have horrible calling. You're gonna only do what you can, and you're only gonna do it when you have to. You know, sure. you can uh, you can you can blow ducks out of your out of your decoy spread too. Yeah, uh, too much calling, but but those decoys is where that's gonna drive the ducks exactly where you want them. You should when you when you you know that you've mastered the art of decoying birds when you can point to a spot on the water before the hunt comes up, and you tell everyone in the blind, hey. Something's gonna land right here. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna a bird, they are gonna land right here. Yeah. And when you make that happen, that's uh, I mean it's it's special. But you have to that I can't imagine trying to duck hunt and not understanding decoys one hundred and twenty percent. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, and we 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 don't really have time to go into all of the different decoy spreads. Right. But just I mean everyone knows ducks are gonna want to light into the wind. So whatever you do, that want to light into the wind. Don't generally want to light into a crowd, mm-hmm. and they don't generally want to light over other or the top of other ducks. Yeah. So keep keep that in mind. Now you did bring your calls with you, so grab those because oh I, I want to ask you when you you've got birds working, and this is something you said uh, to me in a previous conversation. It's uh, and I thought I was like that's that's absolutely true. Let's hit on that eliminate the number of passes that they make because every time those circling ducks make a pass that's one more chance for them to pick up something that just isn't quite right and to bust you all right so uh where in in their flight pattern are you going to try to call them to say okay this is the one where we're going to try to put them down feet down in the decoys if it's a if it's a big group of mallards and generally the bigger the bigger the group the bigger the group of mallards the more what i call false passes they're going to take they're they're circling. They're doing one of two things. When you see them dip down low and then they come back up and they dip down low and they lock their wings and they they want to light, but it's one of those times where you feel like you want to get up there and 
teach them how to fly. <laughs> like, dude, y'all aren't giving yourselves enough enough runway here. Yeah. You know, they keep circling, keep circling. They're feeling out what it takes to put down safely. Let's take hunting out of the situation. Mm-hmm. This is still a one and a half pound aircraft that's having to deal with fifteen mile an hour winds sometimes. Sure. It, they have to learn what it's going to take. They they're going to make a series of touch and goes before they can do it. That's just avionics, right? You know, that's what they're doing. But uh, a lot of, they're they're checking you out on every one of those. Don't get nervous, and don't try to talk to them too much. Now, if they start acting spooky and they start leveling off, and they start getting a little bit higher, if they give you one more pass where you can take a couple out of that group, you need to be you need to be sending it mm-hmm. because uh, they probably saw something or heard something that they didn't like. We've all been there. We've oh, all been there, and it happens. We should have. T- we should have. You'll sit. You'll, you'll sit over one. You'll sit over one a, a great spot that yeah. holds hundreds of ducks, and you'll sit with hundreds of ducks, live birds sitting on it, scouting it. You'll see groups groups of birds circle and circle and circle and circle and circle and circle, and then just fly off. Yeah. They're just checking it out. Yeah. I mean, uh, but when they're working, and you know it's getting ready to happen, what? The, the one thing I notice is, let's say we've got a wind coming from about, you know, we've got our po- our decoy pocket right here, and we've got a wind coming 8 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Good little clip that they have to pay attention to and they have to react to right in the double digits. When they come around and they're circling, I know they're about to make their terminal pass here just in one or two. If I have to say anything to them, I want to say it before they get downwind. I want to turn them back into the wind. Mm-hmm. Now, you can give them a... You can give them just a little a little something like that, that that can turn them back into the wind. Or if you want to be uh, different than all the other people, some people I know uh, like to blow like to blow a feed call at them. To turn them into the wind, like a little, you know, just, just something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not on the stage. You don't have to, you don't have to scream at them. Like I, like I like to say, I like to talk amongst ourselves. I like to make it sound like decoys are talking to each other. We're having a good time. We're loafing. We're eating. Ha ha. You know, uh, yeah. old Susie's getting a little, a little charged up. You know, she's ready for, she's ready for to meet her mate for the year, you yeah. know, just make it sound like a good time that's happening down there and, uh, don't get crazy with it. Yeah. Make sure your decoys are right. Make sure you're minding the wind. And if you have to move those decoys at any point, don't be lazy, move them. I think that is uh, that's, that can't be, uh, overstated. I mean, the importance of that is, and I've been there like in, in all these things we're talking about, we've learned these from experience. It's like, okay, it's 7.30. We've seen three groups of ducks not do what we thought they were going to do. And then we just sit on our asses and we don't move our decoys. Because we're like, ah, maybe the next group. Because it just goes back to being lazy. Yeah. Even if you don't get set up again until 8 o'clock, you take that 30 minutes, adjust your spread. If you need to walk 100 yards that way, whatever you need to do. Okay, now it's 8 o'clock. You might have missed a couple groups that came in and they saw you and they busted you. But you weren't going to kill them anyway. Yeah. And you're dang sure not going to kill the 8, 30, 9 o'clock flights that come in if you're still sitting there with your, you know, ill-advised decoy spread. Right. And uh, another thing, when you, if you're hunting a, a bigger body of water that you can't cover, you know, I know in North Texas, we hunt these 
one and a half, two acre potholes that we can generally cover from one or two, maybe two blind locations. Mm -hmm. If you're hunting a bigger body of water or out on public land or a big, a big hole or a big ring out in the, in the flooded timber, you know, a big cut, a big cutout. Um, if you notice that you're losing ducks to what I call slick water in you, if they're not lighting in the decoys, but they're lighting way out there, you'll hear some people say, well, oh, it's, uh, they seeing something they don't like. No, no. Well, if they thought there was any human presence down there, they're not lighting at all. Yeah. They're not lighting anywhere near you. If they, if they know that hunters are down there, what's happening is they're not able to make a safe landing. Like I was talking about in your decoys, you need to do something, you need to do something Yeah. because of the way the wind is and your surrounding situation, they aren't able to light where you want them to light, but they're, they're getting in. They, they like the hole. Yeah. And hell, they might even end up swimming into the decoys before too long. But if you want to, if you want to light them in the decoys, something's got to change, and you have to move right now. And it could be something small, just like uh, you need to open up your landing pocket just a little bit, or or it could be yeah, we gotta we gotta pick up everything and move. But either way, the, the key is figure that out. And once you realize they're not decoying, make the adjustment. You have to do something. Yeah. It's time to it's it's time. When Otherwise, the, you're just sitting there drinking coffee with your buddy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Um, I wanted to also talk about really about public land. Uh, I don't think we, we're not gonna have time to get into the etiquette of being what I would call, uh, you know, a thoughtful public land hunter, Yeah. you know, but, uh, but one thing that I did want to talk about was, so you're out there scouting. Here's another guy who's out there scouting. So you're already alike. This is, you know, week before the season, you're putting your time yeah. in, he's putting his time in. So it's two like minds. Instead of trying to beat that guy to the ramp on opening day, you told me, he was like, I talked to that guy. Yeah, dude, if you're scouting, if you find a big raft of birds hold up somewhere on some public land, and it's the middle of the week, and you notice, and there's another guy, you, see, you keep seeing the guy out there, and you keep noticing y'all are trying to hunt the same area, I would encourage you, introduce yourself to that guy. Make, make acquaintances with him. It would be much better to be his friend than his enemy, and vice versa. And second... It's probably going to work out because he's a big, tough duck hunter, just like you are. Mm -hmm. He's serious about it and he's ethical and he knows how to put the work in to do it. Yeah. Y'all team up together. Y'all, you'll probably be friends for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Oh yeah. And I, and so it's funny because I do have that friend. I've got that, that friend right I now. I met on Ray Roberts. Yeah. First got season a bunch I ever duck hunted. Yeah. And we, it was like the second or third time we kept trying to beat each other to the spot. I was like, dude, you just want to hunt together? He was like, sure. Mm -hmm. Now this summer... You know he's going to he's going to South Africa with me, and we've done mule deer in New Mexico and played fantasy football together. How about that? This, that, and the other. You know, so. it's sure that's uh, sure a far cry from uh, <laughs> from throwing fists, uh, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> or sky busting. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, or just or just acting the fool towards yeah, each other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, cool. So, Poe, talk a little bit about um, what Outlaw Outfitters has going on this season. You guys just picked up a, a very nice property. We in did. addition to all the stuff you already had. We did. We uh we've got some uh we've got some irons in the fire for sure this year. Uh we're still offering day hunts as usual. Uh you know, like we've been doing since 2011. Um uh, come out in the morning turnkey 45 minutes from your house in Frisco. 
you're there. Mm-hmm. Boom. Bring four, bring four to six, seven, eight, hundred, ten guys out of one blind. They all wanted to hunt together last year. <laughs> it was safe, and we made it right. We moved blinds and everything. We hunted ten guys in the same hole, and they and miraculously they all limited out. Wow. Uh, it was a very very interesting morning. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we do that. We do our we do our our day hunts. And we've also got full weekend packages now where at the camp in Bonham on a 1,300 acres, you can show up on Friday evening. Mm -hmm. We'll have dinner ready, you know, put your gear down, you know, hang out, hear some crazy stories and everything and uh, go to bed, wake up in the morning. We're going to get you in the blind. We're going to hammer some ducks, come back. We're going to eat a good brunch. Get ready for uh, that evening's activities. Whether you want to maybe purchase a deer hunt from us and go and us put you on a uh, on a great buck, or if you want to hog hunt, or if you want to unload the guns and sit on the front porch of the camp and try to drink all the whiskey in North Texas, <laughs> you can do that too. I'll have dinner ready at seven thirty, and but uh, you're gonna get to wake up in the morning on Sunday and uh, go on another duck hunt. We're gonna come back. We're going to tag birds. We're going to clean birds. We're going to get you ready to go back to final destination. We're going to feed you lunch and check out. And so what does that run? For just five, 550 for the For the whole weekend, for two duck hunts. Two food, duck hunts, lodging, food, stuff. lodging, everything, 550 That's a pretty smoking deal right there. It is a pretty good – it's yeah. a very Veteran-owned and operated. Um, Veteran-owned and operated. And if uh, That's important to me. I like that. So. Yeah, we uh, – you know, getting on that, we work with uh, we work with a company called Wounded Veteran Waterfowl Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of their uh, one of their charter founding founding fathers, so to speak, is one of our guides now. His name is Tom Rasmussen, Silver Star recipient. He was in the fight at Cop Keating uh, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Outstanding dude. Uh, he, him, and my buddy Corey Daughtry, they put together this deal out in. Uh, just in outside of Fort Carson, Colorado, and they just started taking wounded veterans hunting, and uh, we're doing the same now. When uh, people ask me, find out I'm a veteran, and Tom's a veteran, and how we're veteran-owned and operated, I get other veterans that call me, and, uh, hey, man, I'm a veteran. What kind of discount can I get? Mm-hmm. Well, man, if you can show me a Purple Heart, I'll give you a free duck hunt. Yeah. But uh, based on availability. Uh Guys like me who served and didn't get a Purple Heart, uh, our discount is being able to be here and just do it to this day. So we uh, we reserve all of our discounts for our Gold Star families and our Purple Heart recipients. Awesome. awesome. I'm sure uh, I'm sure any veteran worth his salt is going to understand that. Yeah. And we've only got 60 days to duck hunt, yeah. and, uh, and we're, we're going to do it. And uh, so – Website is huntoutlaw.com. Is that www.huntoutlaw.com. Okay. And then you'll have Facebook and Instagram. Facebook, Instagram, hashtag Outlaw Outfitters. Right on, brother. Well, cool. Well, always a treat to visit with you, my friend. Uh, Thanks for uh, being part of the uh, the Cajun Navy as well and and going down to to help the folks in Houston. That was interesting. Yeah. And uh, if folks want to check out that interview, we we talked about that. Uh, They can find it on a previous podcast. But, uh, it's great to have you here in studio, brother, and I look forward to hunting with you uh, coming up very soon. All right. Look forward to it. Likewise. All right. There he goes. Our good buddy, Bo Saussier of Outlaw Outfitters. Always a pleasure talking ducks with someone uh, who has, like he said, three decades of experience. Uh, that segment 
brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. Y'all know that's what I use, and I especially enjoy the 600-pound stand and fill. No more having to haul a ladder around or stand on your tailgate. You just take the lid off. You stand on your own two feet and fill the feeder. It's that easy. It's so sturdy. Hogs can't knock it over, and you can find it, as well as the 300-pound stain and fill right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, let's take a break. Up next, we check in with my friend Sam Ayers, who joins us from California. His job has him planted right there in the concrete jungle in Los Angeles. And about the time he turned 30, his life took a 180. He started a podcast called Living Country in the City. It's fascinating stuff. And he joins us next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Well, I got drunk by myself last night. They say it's no way to make things right. I just didn't have anything better to do. Hey, y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. This is Stephen Ranella, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Seems like every time I turn around, somebody's trying to knock me down. I don't have any tricks left up my sleeve. Skyline Radio, one of my favorites from Cody, Canada, and the Departed, bringing us back here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. I'm Cable Smith, and thank you for being here today. Uh, It is a treat to be talking outdoors with you. We've got a a cool guest lined up for you here momentarily, Um, but before we are joined by Sam Ayers of uh, Living Country in the City. This segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit, who are trying to help you live country in the country. That's right. Land is the one thing they are not making any more of, friends. We all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping people finance their piece of Texas for over 100 years. So if you're looking to get that little slice of paradise, hey, let Lone Star Ag Credit help you out. And you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. 
All right, let's go ahead and uh, bring on our next guest. He joins us from Los Angeles, California. And let me tell you, friends, I don't think we've had many folks from L.A. on the show. As a general rule, I'm pretty much opposed to most things California, especially L.A. (laughs) But uh, there are some good folks out there. Sam Ayers is one of those few folks who uh, I'm happy to call a friend. And he's got an interesting story to tell as as his journey has been uh, quite different (laughs) from most of ours. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Sam to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So uh, first of all, how are those knees treating you? You know, they're they're actually doing really well. I uh, went for uh, my first hike uh, since the surgery, uh, I want to say two days ago, and then uh, actually went for a run yesterday, uh, only on a treadmill, but uh, it's more than I've done in about a month and a half, so doing yeah. great. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, just uh, hearing about your, your elk hunt, I mean, that was one of the worst elk hunting stories I've heard, but uh, <laughs> I imagine it made you stronger as a person and, and ultimately as a hunter, I mean, enduring tearing, what did you tear both of your, uh, did you tear your meniscus or what did you do? Yeah. I had a lateral tear of the meniscus in both knees. God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like a catastrophic football injury. Like you're, you're talking here. It's just, uh, not something you would associate with the, uh, the common elk hunt. And you're not that old. How old are you? Uh, 34 years old. Yeah. So, uh, and you were, you were, on a backcountry solo hunt uh, in Idaho, right? Yeah, you know, I don't don't like doing things easy, so I decided to, uh, for my very first uh, backcountry hunt, chase uh, elk solo uh, out in Idaho with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's how I knew we'd get along great, because I like to do crazy stuff like that, too. Uh, sometimes my wife looks at me like I'm insane, but we just go and do it, because that's what we're called to do. Um, which is why I wanted to have you on the show today. It's, you've, you've got a very interesting story, and you didn't grow up hunting. In fact, you've lived a pretty urban lifestyle most of your life. You've got a really, you know, successful career in the in the music entertainment industry in in L.A. Kind of just, you know, reading your bio, striving for that penthouse apartment that that life every you know early thirties guy <laughs> wants to have in the concrete jungle, uh, but. Somewhere along the way, you realize that's not all it's cracked up to be. No, absolutely. I mean, I grew up, you know, little kid in the suburbs of Southern California, and we'd go fishing and camping uh, um, growing up, but it was like the vacation thing. It was never, you know, something that we did super often. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, and I loved it. Uh, I absolutely loved it. you know, would shoot my BB gun in the backyard, uh, occasionally go to the park. Uh, they had an archery range at a local park. I'd go shoot a little, you know, youth recurve bow, but you know, that was it. And, um, got into advertising, you know, drove my little, uh, roadster convertible and, uh-huh. you know, like you said, wanted that penthouse apartment, but, uh, just, I, you know, a lot of it was, I started getting older and, um, getting more serious about my life and uh it just you know long story short had a had a big pivot in my lifestyle change and started appreciating different things relating to different things and getting back to that uh excitement about the outdoors uh started started teaching rifle marksmanship with a 
um, with a nonprofit organization. It was like a history and heritage organization. And then uh, through that, I started getting interested in hunting, following more hunters on Instagram and started seeing these these guys picking up bows and chasing uh, chasing deer and other animals out in the woods and thought to myself, man, I haven't shot a bow in ages and that just looks so stinking bad. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember going, uh, when I was, uh, I had somebody invite me to go dove hunting one time and I was looking into getting my license and I was just reading the regs and, you know, this was back in the day before I really knew anything. And I saw that there was an archery bear season. And I thought to myself, that's like the epitome of like badass manliness right there is chasing a bear with a bow. And, you know, now I, I'm like, I, oh, that's something I could never do. And now I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, how quick can I find some black bear or something? <laughs> right, right. Well, so so you had this 180-degree uh, turn in your in your lifestyle. And you still live right there in, you know, L.A. Uh, now, you live in an apartment there? Yeah, I mean, I'm about as, as central in the middle of Hollywood as it gets. I, I literally <laughs> live... I just went down to go get Dunkin' Donuts on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, walking across the stars on the Walk of Fame. So that's like right where I'm at. Wow. I'm in a little teeny one-bedroom apartment, about 450 square feet that I just don't even want to tell you how much I pay for. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my uh, my wife lived in New York for a couple of years when we were dating, like in Manhattan. And oh. yeah, she shared a, a one-bedroom apartment with her best friend, and it was tiny, and I don't remember, but the rent was ungodly. I was like, you know, I was thinking, how many... How many hunts can I go on for one month rent, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I could probably go hunt Alaska for what I pay. Yeah. Well, so you started this podcast, uh, Living Country in the City, which obviously is a perfect uh, name for the life that you live. <laughs> and uh, Very on the nose. Yeah. Would you say that one of your goals, Sam, is to be a trendsetter as far as people trapped in the concrete jungle whose heart lies in the woods? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say trendsetter, but I'd like to, I want to make it more accessible for people because it was, this was something that I wish I had been exposed to a lot earlier, you know, not even just necessarily when I was a kid, but even just in my adult life that I had realized that this is something I could do, um, you know, a couple years ago when I first started, you know, really getting into archery and stuff like that. And, um, I just, I want people to realize that it's, um, it's doable, uh, even if you don't live in the middle of Montana or even Northern, like Northern California, you know, a few hours North of me, it's a lot more accessible than, um, than where I'm at. But I just want people to realize that they can, um, they can do that and kind of learn from my mistakes and the struggles I'm going through and, hopefully encourage uh encourage the community that's that does exist here in like the urban areas in Los Angeles especially. Yeah. Well and then you're learning on the fly, you know, teaching yourself as you go, like you said, went on a solo uh elk hunt in Idaho. Um now as far as what really got you started, was it the allure of killing your own organic protein or just the like you know, the woods calling to you that causes paradigm shift in, in the way that you live your life. Or you know, I've, both, um, I've 
I've just, I've always been drawn to the woods, even in the midst of, you know, that, that want to, want to be a, a rock star kind of city life. I always loved going camping and being out in the woods. And that just grew and grew and grew. Um, a lot of it too, uh, comes from that. I don't know. It, I, I hate the phrase, but it's like, it's so, it sounds so cheesy, but you got kind of like primal call, you know, that, um, mm-hmm. that, that just like kind of stirring that, you know, when you think about it's like man versus nature and you have to be kind of the ultimate predator thing. There's just, honestly, I'm a guy and I like enjoy doing badass guy things. And I mean, hunting for me is the top of that. And then, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And, and I get excited about the idea of being able to, you know, I'm a single guy, you know, I'm not providing for a family, but to be able to go out and, and take that meat and, and prepare it and just start to finish, be solely self-reliant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that primal calling is, you know, that's what gets all of us ultimately into the woods uh, because we are hunters. That's who we are. It's, it's, you know, who we're always going to be. Um, let me ask you this. What is your favorite thing to hunt? And I know you're, you know, obviously really into archery. So do you prefer a, a bow over a rifle? I definitely prefer a bow over a rifle. Um, I mean, I, you know, I got into this through shooting uh, rifles, but I, there's just something about the bow that it just connects you with everything around you. Um, and it once again, it goes back to that super just primal nature you know um and the added challenge is is exciting and fun um as far as my favorite to hunt you know it, it's a little difficult to say because it's all uh it's all just uh, speculation at really at this point for me but i am just obsessed with elk um <laughs> i like it's all i can think about you know and i'm I'm excited. You know, I'm going out for some other hunts later this year, you know, once the knees are back to a hundred percent, but just something about elk is they're the most amazing creatures. They're like some giant mythical creature, um, but they're not mythical. You know, they, they make crazy noises and, and you can call them to you and, and there's so much strategy involved and, I don't know. I can't. I'm obsessed with them. Well, I can't even say enough about it. And they them. live in the most unforgiving, but ultimately most beautiful landscape, I think, in North America. Um, you know, they call the Rockies and other mountain ranges their home. And and that's a testament to their adaptability because we're talking about an animal that 200 years ago used to roam the plains, you know. Uh, then mm-hmm. They felt hunting pressure, and, and now you, you're not going to find them anywhere other than in in those uh breathtaking places which is why i think folks like yourself and i are so drawn to yeah the elk's an amazing animal but it's it's where they live that that adds to that experience of of pursuing them i think um now as far as california i I thought maybe the bow was your your favorite because i don't know how how easy it is to even own a gun in california it's uh you guys have a little bit different uh gun mm-hmm. gun laws and obviously we do in texas uh so 
can you just go <laughs> just in to, to, to like, say the least? Yeah. Well, so if you wanted to just go pick up, uh, you know, I'm just going to go to Academy and buy an AR-15 today. Can you do that? Well, it's with how things have changed recently. Um, as far as the AR-15s, I'm I, I'm not fully up to date on the the new regs, uh, but it's definitely harder. They've got additional regulations. You know, all the assault weapon. I hate the term. I just sticks in my throat every time I have to say it. Um, you know, all the assault weapon regulations and, uh, you know, whether or not you can have a detachable magazine or a pistol grip or a a friggin' bayonet lug, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, but it's definitely rifles still aren't as bad, especially if you're looking to buy something like a bolt action hunting rifle, it's still not that bad. Um, Pistols uh, are a little more difficult. Um, semi-auto rifles are a little more difficult. Yeah, and you'll have days. like a magazine, what is it, a capacity limit. What, I think it's like, what, seven rounds or something like that? Uh, seven rounds or is it ten rounds? I'm I'm like brain dead right either now. Way, I apologize. For, either way, either for a pistol or, or an rounds, AR, yeah. it's, it's ridiculously low. And, you know, we've seen this trend in, in my neck of the woods in North Texas. We've got California folks moving in every day, which is fine. I hope they're the folks from Northern California, though, so they're not coming here to try to. <laughs> I don't want them to California my Texas. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard I've heard horror stories from my friends over there that that certain chunks of the state are uh, are trending a little blue, and it's uh, and they're getting real nervous. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're from California, born and raised. Do you see yourself living there, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, or? Is there a, is there an escape plan? <laughs> um, no, man. I gotta get I gotta get my butt out of here. Uh, I am. Uh, I've been trying to honestly. I've been trying to get out for probably about five years now. Mm-hmm. And you know, with what I do, I work. I, I I build websites and mobile apps. You know, like you said, right now I'm working in the music industry uh, for a company that puts on music festivals. I manage all their festival apps and websites and. Um, just doing that, I'm I'm a little more limited to where I can move. You know, if I wanted to move out into the boonies of uh, Montana or Wyoming or something, uh, I, it's there's just not as many job opportunities. And yeah. but fortunately, I I uh, have the ability with what I do to where if I find the right uh, setup, I can I could probably do a lot of my work remotely. And so. Hopefully, I've been working with my boss to uh, to talk about that a little bit, and you know, we'll see where that goes. And who knows? Maybe in the next few years, I'll be able to uh, keep my job here in LA and and move out to somewhere uh, somewhere I can hear Elk Bugle in the morning. Right, right. Um, now, how has social media enabled you to pursue your passion? Because I'll tell you, it's made it's it's made a big difference for me, but I started the show eight years ago and, and, you know, Facebook was there, but you know, nobody knew anything about Instagram. And so I, you know, I didn't really have that resource starting out. Um, you've been able to essentially start your podcast. I think Instagram is your, your main, um, media platform that, that you get your, your show out there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've got, I've got absolutely everything, but basically it all starts with Instagram and then just pushes out from there. Um, but really the social media has been great. You know, it's, 
I've actually was just talking uh, yesterday with someone about this, that it's sometimes it's, it's kind of like high school. You know, you got you got the popular kids, you got the bullies, you got the jocks. Um, but and you know, there's always going to be some drama, even with within the hunting community, which is just you kind of got to shake your head at. But honestly, it's been such a powerful tool for me. I use uh, Instagram, like you said, mostly to to get the podcast out there. And, uh, you know, it's where I reach out to most of my guests. Um, you know, it's a little frustrating cause they don't always see my messages all the time, but, uh, you know, a lot of these guys I'll, I'll get, get hit back from some just amazing people. I've, I've gotten a chance to talk to, uh, honestly, some of the coolest people in the industry and make personal connections and, what I like to think are friendships. I hope they feel the same way. Um, but you know, that's all been through social media and I really don't think what, at least how, you know, my strategy would have to change a whole lot, you know, if this was, you know, eight, 10 years ago and, you know, maybe I'm reaching out on Facebook or, you know, most of the, most of these things, you know, eight, 10 years ago, we didn't have, you know, whatever business pages on Facebook. I remember they were just starting to come out then. Yeah. And, um, it just, yeah, it wouldn't have all been possible, you know, cold emailing people trying to find phone numbers on websites and, you know, just a different time. And it's made, made this hunting world so much more accessible for someone like me, um, between being able to just follow these people and see what they're doing as well as the, you know, the proliferation of podcasts and it's been amazing. Oh yeah. And it's kind of been one of those, it's like a catch 22 for me. Cause when I started, nobody had the podcasts weren't a thing at years ago. Nobody even knew what that was. Yeah. I don't even know if that was a word to be honest with you. And so I had just a radio show and, and now everyone has a podcast and I'm like, Oh man, it's like, I got all this competition, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, you know, ultimately it's a great thing because it gives, it gives more people, a way to uh, to reach potential hunters uh, and to connect this whole community of, of outdoorsmen and women, like you said. I can't tell you how many people I've met on Facebook and Instagram that I've got I've shared a duck blind with. Or last week, guy right here in North Texas just messaged me. He's like, "Hey man, we've got a bunch of dove. Uh, do you want to come out on Saturday morning?" Oh, sure, yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, it, it truly is. Uh, I don't know. The hunting community is salt of the earth, uh, folks. That's for sure. Um, well, you know, the guy that actually helped pack me out from my elk trip after I injured my knees, I, you know, sent a message to a, a buddy of mine who brought his horses in from Montana and was able to help pack me out. He and I had never met prior to that moment in person. Wow. Uh, he had, I was doing a live Instagram story um, and he, we were talking, I was talking about how I wanted to move to Montana. He was from there. And so he kind of reached out. We were just started talking back and forth. I'd mentioned where I was hunting and he just, he knew that area like the back of his hand. So he said, Hey, if you ever get into anything, let me know. I can either help you pack out or pack you out if you get in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, thinking to myself like, Oh, that's really nice of him. I'll never need to use that, but thanks. You know, (laughs) but I mean, that's just a testament to the power of it. I'd never met the dude. And all of a sudden he's there, you know, great guy, Clayton marks are the adventure cowboy. Um, become i just i owe him <laughs> uh quite a bit he's a great guy so yeah 
Well, and I'll tell you, I like um, I, this this one friend I have, Roy Ratcliffe from from Oklahoma. Met him through Facebook. He took me to uh, I caught my my biggest bass, my personal best bass on his uh, family pond, and then you know I've only I think I've actually hung out with him three times. We've gone fishing once and then predator hunting twice, and I like a jackass um, left my my dome light on in my truck one time at my deer lease. Well, it's two hours from my house. You know, I've got three kids, and my truck won't start. He lives an hour away. Mm. I call him, Roy, hey, man, uh, what are you doing? Oh, just, you know, eating dinner, putting the kids to bed. I said, oh, I got this problem. He goes, all right, tell me what battery you need. He goes to Walmart, drives the hour to my lease with his tools, helps me put the battery in, and, and you know, sends me on my way. Um, so, yeah, hunters are uh, – there's no, there's no, not a better community to be a part of. That's for sure. Um, let me ask you this: Who's been your favorite guest, other than myself, of course, that you've had on your show? <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. I, you know, you've got kids. You're like asking me to pick a favorite kid. <laughs> um, it's tough to say because I've, I've had such a huge variety of different, different people, and, um, you know, I mean having Jim Shockey on was a, a the most incredible honor of my life. Like I'll have to say that right off. Um, it was almost tough to interview him cause I just kept finding myself like sitting there just fascinated with what he was saying. And I, I'd, I'd forget that I was running a whole uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, Cody rich was a lot of fun to talk to as well. Um, just a, a great guy. Uh, did an episode with Ryan Callahan on public lands that, um, oh, yeah. that I think was really important. Uh, uh, you know, and just so many great guys, Corey Jacobson, um, Zach Griffith, I pick a favorite. Come on, man. What are you asking me to do here? <laughs> Where can folks find living country in the city? Uh, I've got my website, livingcountryinthecity.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, living country in the city. Uh, really, if you want to find the podcast though, you can just pull up most, any podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever, uh, and, and search for living country in the city and, uh, pretty easy to find. Right on, right on. Well, I, uh, certainly was honored to be a guest on your show and your story is, is an inspiring one. You know, a young man with an exciting career in Los Angeles striving for that penthouse apartment and then just boom, hey, 180 and taking his life <laughs> in a totally different direction, a better, more f- fulfilling direction, I would say. And, uh, and Absolutely. And the thing is, we need more hunters. Only about 4% of the population lives the way you and I do and value the things that you and I hold you know, so dear. So um, I think if your story can inspire anyone else caught in that you know concrete jungle to get out there, hit the woods, and and you've you know you've taught yourself a lot just kind of learning on the fly but uh social media going back to that it's a great way to connect with people you don't know you don't you don't know the answer to something somebody on social media a fellow hunter has the answer for you and more than likely if uh if you you reach out you know they'll let you tag along and uh you know that's that's the best way to to learn is uh, to go with somebody who's been there and done it so anyway absolutely we certainly, uh, I certainly appreciate you jumping on with me, man. And I encourage folks to check out the uh, Living Country in the City podcast. Get the get those knees back to hundred percent. 
and we'll see what uh, the next adventure has in store for you. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right. There he goes. Our friend Sam Ayers, living country in the city. Uh, <laughs> I applaud the guy. I mean, like I said earlier, California, pretty much dead to me. Now, okay, Northern California, still a lot of outdoorsmen and women up there, but SoCal, forget about it. Not interested in anything they are selling me, that's for sure. But, hey, Sam is all right, and uh, I thought it was funny when he said he couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Anyway, that segment brought to you by the new Vortex Optics Fury. It's the laser range-finding binocular. Just got mine, and it is bad to the bone. Y'all check it out at vortexoptics.com. That, my friends, <laughs> is going to do it for today's broadcast. Got to go. Got to get out of here. We are flat out of time. Thanks to all of our guests, uh, Sam, as well as Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters, as well as Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. Uh, we will do it again next week. But uh, in the meantime, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Capel Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. But